This is an idea, really. All right. So meantime, we're on Vakone Hakol. And we were in the middle of this explanation of the Maharal in his book, Derech Chaim, on Perkei Avos. You still have your copies? I, I mean, I have copies here. Okay. And we were up to the paragraph beginning, the Yesh Lachaladas, which there are a few that start like that. But um, I think in this case, it's the one that's numbered number six, right? Okay. I'm going to tuck this away and use mine, because that's where my notes are. But, all right. So, what he said so far was that a kinyan, it can be used colloquially, but the proper use of the word kinyan and the way that it's used in the Torah is both exclusive and unique. Meaning that if a, an object is a kinyan, that means it is completely completely owned or completely belonging to the owner. Um, there aren't just parts of it or its use or its time that are his, but it's actually completely his. At the same time, it is the only thing that serves that purpose for the owner. If it's the Kenyan, then it's not one of many. So the example he gave was somebody who has more than one servant. So he's got a servant by day and by night, or one at work and one at home. Then you wouldn't call those a Kenyan. He says in any case, you couldn't really call a slave a Kenyan. Because, uh, uh, it, you know, it's so funny. It comes up because of the Parshas. But Jewish slavery is so different from what we've seen historically as slavery, that it, it really deserves a different word completely. Because, I mean, even just an example of this, because he's saying, like, first of all, all you have is the work of his hands. At max, in six years, he's leaving. You know, and you don't have the right to, you know, all the time. It's not 24 hours a day. It's not, so, you know, that's not a Kenyan. The Odiyeshlachaladas. But further, you need to know, you should know, that the Tana, meaning the rabbi of the Mishnah, who said, when he said, there are five Kinyonim, he is, he is using the word Kinyon as meaning the thing, that it belongs entirely to the owner of the kinyan, in the same way that a house is fittingly called the kinyan of a person. That the owner requires it to live in and to be in. A person needs a home. People need to have shelter. They need to have warmth. They need to have a place in which to build their family. That's not true of, and he's going to explain a little bit more what the difference is, this is not true of an Eved or of any other kind of utensils or tools, <clears throat> even if they're necessary for the owner. You don't call them a Kenyan because they only serve the Baal HaKinyan in some area. Aval HaKinyan humashi'i efshar zulasam. A Kenyan is something that you can't manage without it. You don't have an alternative. You can't just say, well, never mind. You know, if, the, if I don't have an Eved or he's sick today, so I'll do it myself. Or manage without it, right? If a tool breaks, is it a tool that you absolutely cannot manage without, or is it something where, well, you'll just you'll improvise something different? He says, with a hot with a house, you can't manage without it. You need to have a home. So the improvisation would be that you would build a different kind of home, right? If this home burns down, then you would go to a shelter. If this home burns down, then you would build something, even if it's out of cardboard or tin. You'll build a home because you need to have a home. That makes it a Kenyan. So what he's now doing is he's turning around and sort of saying, what is it from the point of view of the owner? Up until now, it was sort of the characteristics of the Davar Kenyan that make it unique and exclusive to the owner and not to anyone else. But now he's sort of saying how the Kenyan 
has a unique, uh, fills a unique role for the owner. It's not just that he has this Eved completely, but it's that he would have, I mean, Eved is the wrong example. He's saying you can't use Eved as an example, but it's that you wouldn't be able to replace it. You need to have it. You can't just say, well, I'll manage with some different solution. So they don't own it entirely. So it still might not be a Kenyan until they until you've paid off your house. It's not yours. People talk about. I mean, the truth is, we did finish buying our home in Israel, but that was right before we left. So. But people do talk about like what a big difference it makes to them when they feel they've paid it off. I don't know if that's true nowadays. I don't know if people do ever pay off their mortgages nowadays because they tend to roll them into something new. But but you do hear such things. Okay. Um, if he doesn't have that thing, he would have to go acquire it, right? For lack of a better term. We're stuck about this word, liknos, but he'd have to go get one. If he doesn't have this one, he has to get a different one. Because he cannot manage, he can't really sustain without it. It's not sustainable to manage without it. That's why it's called Kenyan. All of these five things, these five things that are listed in the Mishnah are all in service of God's lordship, his rulership. And God's lordship, or his dominion, or his mastery, I'm not sure how you'd translate that, are upon them. So all the things we've been saying on all these paragraphs about what makes something really, really be a Kenyan, that it is completely for the Kona, that it is uniquely for the Kona. It's not a shared service. Good morning. Good morning, good morning. I'm going on with your wonderful So we said it's that a Kenyan, what makes something a Kenyan is that it is fully in service of the owner. It's not sometimes yes, sometimes no, or some areas yes, some areas no. And it is uniquely in service of the owner. There isn't someone else fulfilling or some other object fulfilling the same role, but in a different location or at a different time. And now he's added another factor, which is that the owner requires it. That it's not a Kenyan unless the owner also requires that. And so what, he's, what the Maharal seems to be saying is, when it comes to these five things that are listed in the Mishnah as being kinyanim for Hashem, that Hashem's, Hashem's uh, presence in the world requires these things, which is a very, very, uh, I was going to say extreme thing to say. It's the kind of thing that that shows up in different places as the Kabbalistic explanation of something. It's never going to be the Pshat explanation of something. Because we don't say that Hashem depends on us, or on anyone, or on anything. Because He is unchanging and complete. Okay, but the world is not unchanging and complete. That's not how He created it. And His presence, what He says is Elakuso. So... When we say Hashem is Elokeinu, he's Baal Kol HaYecholas. He's the master of all powers. That's the, the sort of basic um, kavana for Elokeinu. Um, the expression of God being master of all powers in the world requires these five things. That's what the Maharal is saying. L'fichach ra'oi. Therefore, it is fitting, she'yikro kinyon, that they are called kinyon. This is quite an astonishing thing. The Torah is the declaration of God's mastery in the world. Whoops, turned the wrong way. Upon all of creation. The Torah is what announces it. <laughs> I think there's other ways I could have translated that phrase, but I'm less secure about them. Like the Torah opens. Now, it's not how the Torah opens, although it is really also that. But the example he gives is the Torah was first presented to the world with Anochi Hashem Elokecha. I am Hashem your God, Asher Hotei Sicha Meretz Mitzrayim, who took you out of the land of Egypt. 
It is a declaration that God is the master and the power of the universe. Shamaim va'aretz. What about shamaim va'aretz? Heim ha'olam. That is the world. So it's not so unreasonable that for Hashem's mastery of the world does require the world. That's not actually too, too much of a stretch. They are the world. And God calls his name upon them. Remember also, in all of these cases, that was an earlier part of this Maharal, he mentions that the idea of a Kenyan is also that there's such a deep um, bond. It's not just, I bought a pencil and there's like any other kind of pencil. It's when there's, uh, well, Rav Hirsch is right, Rav Hirsch said, it's an investment of oneself and one's power into creating something that is the true meaning of Kenyan. Mm-hmm. And therefore, the person sees himself. There's a reflection of himself, or some, there's some amount of himself and his personal effort in the Kenyan itself that he sees in it. And that's Hashem's name is called upon all of these five things. God's name is called upon them. Shekach nikra elokei hashamayim velokei haaretz. For example, Hashem is Elohim, the, the master of, the Lord of Shemaim, the heavens, Elokei Haaretz, and the earth. He's going to come back around to why, if each of these has to be unique and only one, this is called Shemaim Va'aretz. And the Mishnah says explicitly, Shemaim Va'aretz Echad. That's one. <laughs> but it sounds like two, so he'll get to that soon. Avraham, Hari Nikra Shemo Alav. Avraham, we see that, that God's name is called upon him. Right? L-O-K, Avraham. <laughs> Even though the other Avos also have God's name called upon them. Lomar, L-O-K-E, Avraham, L-O-K-E, Yitzchak, L-O-K-E, Yaakov. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. Hare be'Avraham, but it is with Avraham, poschen v'chosmen, that we open and we close it. Lomar, Magen Avraham. When it comes right down to it, it's only one. It's Magen Avraham. Vilokain, and, and this is actually a deeper idea, which he expounds on later, and I'm going to end up skipping. which is not so of the other avos, amru As we saw Chazal say, in you they will be, uh, will, will close up, or will seal, or will finalize, not them. Yisrael, nikor shemo aleihem. Yisrael, God's name is called upon them, lomar, to say, elokei Yisrael, Hashem is the God of Israel. I'm going to skip base hamikdash. I'm just saying, here's the thing about the malachim and why yes and why it doesn't go on them. Okay. And then he says, and we shouldn't go into this. So I skipped it. Base hamikdash. I'll take his word for it. Base hamikdash. The base hamikdash. Shmo nikra al base hamikdash. God's name is also called upon the base hamikdash. Kidichtiv, as it says in Divrahenyam and base vav, kishimcha nikra al hazeh. Your name is called upon this house. Hare elu he devarim. These five things serve God in being recognized. I don't know. I'm adding the word recognized in being master of the world. These are the five kinyonim. Similarly, in the Sifri, in Hazinu, Halohu, Avicha, Konecha which we actually saw that inside already, right? I think, didn't we talk about that last week? That, would you treat God this way? I don't think we mentioned this at free, but the Pasuk in Hazinu Lamed Be'ez Vav, I think, that Hashem says, would you do this to Hashem? He is your father, he's your Kona. I think we mentioned it. Amar Moshe Yisrael. The Sifri says, Hashem, Moshe said to the Jewish people, Chavivinatem, you are beloved. Kinyonatem, you are a Kinyan. Viatem Yerusha, you're not an inheritance. Meaning, you were, you were chosen, you weren't just accidentally or indirectly acquired. Right? A person could own something that somebody else picked out. When, when you inherit property, you didn't pick it out. Some other person picked it out and left it to you. It might be wonderful, but it wasn't you who chose it. So Moshe says to them, you're a Kenyan, you're not a Yerusha. God picked you. Okay. Um, 
and the Sifri says these are three that are called Kenyan Lamakam, which is obviously different from this Mishnah, which are five that are called Kenyan Lamakam. Just want to see. Okay. There's one place where I was going to also skip again, but maybe it's not here. Therefore, these things which are called Kinyan, Shehem El Hashem Yisbarach La'atzmo, they are for Hashem Yisbarach himself, El Elakuso, for his lordship, for his mastery. Like somebody who acquires something, if he didn't need it completely, he wouldn't bother getting it, which is also very different from today's society. But if you think of it as an expenditure of energy, it's still true, mm-hmm. right? It's maybe more true than ever before. If I'm going to have to work for it or run for it or spend time on it, then I won't bother unless I really need it. Mm-hmm. The Torah is created to serve Hashem. It, it proclaims his dominion to all of his creatures, his creations, and the heavens and earth were created to serve Hashem. The Beis Hamikdash is also created for the sake of Hashem, as the place where his Shechina is able to sort of enter the world. That's what it's created for. So all of these are how Hashem's mastery and kingship become apparent to the world. I think that's really probably the best way to understand for the moment what the Maharal is saying. These are all things which Hashem created, and He created them for the purpose of serving. Uh, the, the purpose that they serve is to open the door to entry of God's mastery of the universe in. So the Beis Hamikdash does it because that's the place where the Shechina enters, where all the Bracha enters the world. That's what the Beis Hamikdash does. The Torah does it in proclaiming it and making it known. Shemaim Va'aretz do it as the phys- that they themselves, the physical place that Hashem's dominion becomes known to anybody outside of himself, so to speak. Also the Jewish people, V'kach Yisrael. Um, I think I just skipped a line, right? Hashem Mishkan Shechinaso Ushmo Nikra Al Habayis. His name is called upon this house. I think also what he's saying is when the name is called upon the, the object of the Kinyan, that is also a proclamation of God's presence. Meaning it's, it's telling you two things when Hashem associates his name with something. One thing it shows you is that God feels connected to it, so to speak. And the other thing is that when others see it or call it by that name, they are reminded or it becomes known to them through this Kenyan that there is a God and he is Elohim. And this, this is both aspects of the name being called upon it. Also the Jewish people are created for God's sake. That he, tola is like a, to hang or to depend something upon something else. So God, yeah, he makes his dominion, his, his lordship, dependent on the Jewish people, by calling himself the God of Israel. That means that when the Jewish people do not appear to be in good shape, then people assume that God is not so strong, right? That was the whole thing of uh, what will the Mitzrim say if the Jewish people die in the desert? They'll say, well, you were strong enough to get them out of Mitzrayim, but they won't think that you were strong enough to get them through the wilderness. The example he brings here is from Yehoshua, which we saw this one. Zesh Amar Hakasa of Yehoshua Zion. This is what the Pasuk says in Yehoshua Zion, and I actually went and brought the whole Pasuk. Um, and I actually brought from a few Pesukim, which was when the people of Ai killed 36 Jewish soldiers in the first battles, Yehoshua said, Aha Hashem Elohim, like, Oy vey, Hashem Elohim. The Canaanim are going to hear, and all the people who live in the land, and they'll wipe our name off the earth, and what will be with your name? That's what Yoshua said to Hashem. If you wipe the Jews' name off the earth, what's going to be with your name? I think we all know this is true, even within our own lifetimes. All of these things are called Kinyan. He's coming back around to it. Like, you have to understand, all of this is why it's a Kinyan. This is what makes it be Kinyan. 
שכל דבר שצורך לאדם מאוד, something which a person needs very much, שהוא משמש לו, that will do service to him, that will serve his needs, קונה אוסו אילוב. That is described as קונה אוסו אילוב. He acquires it, he, he takes hold of it towards himself. He brings it to himself. כך אמרו בספרי, that's why the ספרי brings over there a mashal לאחד שהורישו עבד אפסר סדוס, someone whose father bequeathed to him ten fields, and he also bought one field for himself. And that was the one he loved most. Of the eleven fields, the one he loved the most was the one that he himself had purchased. And the explanation is because this is the one that was really truly his own. He chose it, he acquired it, There must be something that he needed it for that none of the other ones could serve. The ones that fell to him through an inheritance means that he didn't absolutely need it or he would have had it already. He would have had something like that already. Okay, that's that idea. Now, I want to, there's, there's another key idea that I want to get to. We can either skip or we can, well, let's read this. If, if you don't mind, we'll read the bit about Shemaim Va'aretz. Being, it's, it's a little bit of a tangent because it's not, our topic is the Kenya, not the, not the Mishnah. But he goes now to the, I think we may as well go through it. Okay. We do need to further explain in light of the first explanation. That, that concept of something which is only one and there is no other with it. That is something which someone needs much more. He doesn't have another one to serve that purpose. So he needs it much more. Because if he had another one, he would not have such a big need. There's only one, he needs it more. The Mishnah says, Torah Kinyon Echad. Torah is kinyan echad, one kinyan. Harei ha-Torah hi inyan echad, belvad, belakachu kinyan el Hashem Yisbarach. Torah, it's the only one. <laughs> There's none other. Therefore, it's a kinyan to Hashem Yisbarach. Ukvar be'arnu ze'lamala, we have explained this above, ki ha-Torah hi echad achas lagamri. Torah is one and only. We have like Yisrael oraisa v'kudsha b'richu chadhu. Hashem and the Torah and the Jewish people are all one. Shalakach posach, Aseres Adibros Ba'alif. That's why the Aseres Adibros, which is the first introduction of Torah into the world, begins with the letter Aleph. Even though the world is built, is created with a two, with a base, which is two, to tell you, nothing is more one than Torah in the created universe. Medrash says, I am one, God says, I am one. The Torah is one. Aleph is one, HaTorah Hikolelis Ba. The Torah is all-encompassing, everything is within it. Ve'im ke'ni efshar shi'ad davar zulasa. There can't be anything other than that. Ki'ad davar shu'chelek belvad, something which is a part of a greater whole. Efshar shi'ad davar shu'chelek hasheni. There could be a second part of that same. Aval davar shu'hu hakol, the thing which is the whole, i'efshar shi'ad odecharimo. There can't be another one with it. Since the Torah is one and is a kinyan completely to Hashem Yisbarach, you couldn't possibly say that the Torah is not completely to Hashem, that there's something else with it. There's nothing with the Torah. Also, Shemaim Va'aretz are unique and exclusive. There's nothing that partners with them. When you count together the hosts of heaven, the hosts of earth, there is no nothing else that joins in with them. They're called their hosts. They're part of, but they're not in addition to. As it says in Bereshus, These are the generations of the heavens and the earth. That's it. There, that, that includes everything in the physical world. Heavens and earth. That's, that's everything. There's, no, there's nothing else along with that. So then, and then right afterwards, the Torah says, and there, or actually right before that, the Torah says there was completed Shemaim Va'aretz and all of their tzvos. And what he's saying is the tzvos are the subsets. They're underneath it. They're not a third part in addition. They're not connected to them. 
They are within them. Shemaim va'aretz are unique of their own. But maybe, ve'ain lomar, you shouldn't say, hello, shemaim va'aretz ba'atzmam heimichulakim. Hang on, isn't shemaim va'aretz in and of itself divided? I mean, it's shemaim and aretz. It sounds like two things. He's going to close the bar. He says, don't say that. It's just like, you think you really would say that. I mean, even the Mishnah, the Mishnah is telling you don't say that. The Mishnah is saying, Shemaim Varetzachat. But you could say that about some of the other things. Like, you know, there's the Beis HaMikdash in the Rishon and Sheni. But there's more than one Beis HaMikdash. And there's okay. you know, more than one generation of B'nai Israel. Um, so know, you can so divide it up, but you can't. You can right. separate it, but you can divide it up. <laughs> okay, I like that. So I think that that's probably a good way of describing his answer. Meaning that what you're talking, that so he still has to answer why it's a whole because you could think it's two different things, right? I mean, the Torah, you could also say, well, there's different parshas and they're different, but in the end, it's one Torah, and it all works together, and it all requires all the parts to it to be a complete Torah. Um, and there's probably a single source with Torah as well, in the same way that the Jewish people are branches of a, of a root, you know, like Moshe Rabbeinu. Moshe Rabbeinu teaches us the whole Torah, and Moshe Rabbeinu contains the souls of all the Jewish people with his soul, right? He has somehow he's got a soul that is grafted together from six hundred thousand other souls, right? Mm-hmm. So my guess is it's a bit of both. Okay, but ein kasha. This is not really a question. because heavens and earth they're joined together. Now he's going to say he doesn't mean they're joined together, two separate things that have been glued together. He says, If you draw a circle, <coughs> the space inside of it, the circle in the middle, and so you draw a circle, that's the, like a perimeter, and then within it, there's also a circle that has been described by the circle on the outside. That's what it is. He says, that's heavens and earth. It's actually a very remarkable <laughs> way to think about it. That is why Chazal said, Heavens and earth were created at once. It's not a separate, we don't say that the heavens were created at one point and the earth was created at another point. They are created at the same time. It is the same act of creation that causes both to appear. The ze below zet. You don't have one without the other. It's uh, another way you could presumably think about it is if you rolled out, uh, if you rolled out a tablecloth. There's a top side of the tablecloth and there's a bottom side of the tablecloth, but you wouldn't say there are two tablecloths, right? Or a tapestry, you know, that where the weaving on one side is one pattern and the weaving comes out the other side a different pattern, but you wouldn't say that it's two tapestries even though you've got two different patterns to look at. And the patterns are, of course, related to one another, and they are <laughs> a result of one another, but at the same time, they are all dependent on one another because they're the same creation. You don't have one without the other. It says, God, God calls to heavens and earth, stand together. You don't have one without the other. There isn't one without the other. As we will explain adjacent. They are one thing together. Therefore, it's correct to say that heavens and earth are unique and exclusive. Something that is unique and exclusive, it is appropriate to describe it as being a kinyan to Hashem. Legamri, sorry, completely. Because there is nothing else that stands with them. That you could say there's some other thing that's either part of them or helps perform the service. There's nothing that helps perform the service of the universe outside heaven and earth. There's heaven and earth. That's what there is. And don't, don't feel, don't let it trouble you. Wait a minute, the Torah is a kinyan of Hashem. The Chamisha kinyanim heimel HaKadosh Baruch Hu. There are five kinyanim for Hashem. The Enkan kinyanim in Yuchad. What happened to needing it so that the kinyan has to be unique and exclusive? <laughs> he says maybe this whole, he doesn't say maybe it is, he says it isn't. Don't let it trouble you. Don't, don't let your mind be troubled by the thought 
that wait a minute, this this whole um, this whole Mishnah is sort of a paradox. That if it's describing things as kinyanim and kinyanim have to be unique and exclusive, how can you have five of them? There should be one. It's actually kind of a good question. <laughs> the things that trouble the Maharal, you know. Hello, davers ain't shayachlal. No, that's irrelevant. Elu These two things einam shayachim Any two of these things have no relationship to one another per se. The, 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 what they perform, what they represent, what they do is all absolutely different. There's no overlap. What the Torah does and what a Jew does and what the Beis HaMikdash does and what heaven and earth does, everything about the creation doesn't overlap. Each one is absolutely unique in and of itself. Now, I will tell you that it occurred to me, I, I worked on it a bit later, but I, I can't say that it's absolutely true. He does, he does have a hint to it later on, um, but, but I can't be certain. But I think it's possible that part of the concept here, where there are either three things or four things or five things, okay, this Mishnah says five, but there are two other places. One is three, one is four, and he, he later explains why it would come out that way. Um, how you could say each one is unique and exclusive by saying each one reaches, touches, acts in a different area than the other is because they are acting in different planes. So we've learned about different olamos, that Hashem's, Hashem's creation comes into the world and through which the world dedicates back to Him. And I think it's, it's likely that each of these has a different reach in that sense, or a different area in which when you're, when you're um, relating to Torah versus relating to heaven and earth versus relating to Yisrael versus relating to the Beis HaMikdash, you are, you are connecting to Hashem, you are recognizing Hashem's dominion in the world through that, but each one, you are entering it on a different level, a different story of the building. One you would be entering in Asiya, when you would you would be seeing you would be seeing the demonstration of Hashem as the as the king, mm-hmm. one through Asiya, one through Yitzira, one through Bria, and one through Atzilas. That's how it seems. I I can't absolutely swear that it's true, but it looks like it might be. Mm-hmm. It's, don't have it fully fleshed out, and I think that may also be what he's kind of indicating that these things are not shyach to each other because. I mean, they are sort of shy to each other. I mean, we keep the Torah, we learn the Torah, right? It's not that we have a barrier that we don't relate to heaven and earth. We do. But in the same way that you have the Rambam teach, good morning, in the same way that you'll have, let's say, the Rambam teach that you could come to the love of Hashem through looking at the heavens and the earth, and you could come to love of Hashem through learning Torah, right? And Rabbi Leff had a whole passage there, which I don't think I read, about how these five kinyanim help, these are, they are the, what did he call them? Manifestations of Hashem's, mm-hmm. right, he used the word manifestations. Just looking to see where it was. Facets of knowledge. Five manifestations of, I just want to see his term. It's manifestations through which God is recognized as Kael Elyon, the supreme and most high power, that he is Kone Hakol. Okay, so this is what these, all of these things, through looking at them, they exhibit his ownership of the world and how he bonds himself and binds himself to it through these. And in, I'm going to read you this paragraph. The Mishnah in Pirkei Avos says that God made five kinyonim, acquisitions in the world. The concept of a kinyan is the act of acquisition which determines ownership. The result of a kinyan, gesundheit, binds one who has affected that kinyan with the object of the kinyan, and they become one. As the Telzer Rosh Hashiva Harav Mordechai Katz observes, an animal or non-Jewish slave acquired by a kohen becomes a literal extension of the kohen and can be given truma to eat. The kinyan reflects both the ownership of the object in which the kinyan is affected and creates a bond between the owner and the object. And it's through these different channels that Hashem is revealed. And I think that that is probably why there are more than one, and yet we don't say that they're 
is more than one. Each one is a complete and unique, I think each one is a complete and unique olam of its own. And even though they can each be visible in each olam, how you interact and bond to Hashem depends on which door you're going through, or which flight of stairs you enter into that big room. Okay. And what we said that when there are two op- two things, two items, that neither one of them is unique. That's only if they have some sort of relevance one to the other. If they're in the in the same space, filling the same role. Like the two servants. When one serves by day, another serves another day. That neither one of them is a complete kinyan. But there would be nothing wrong in saying that a person has one house, one unique house, and one unique evid. They're two different purposes. You don't expect your house to perform what you expect your servant to do, and you don't expect your servant to perform what you expect your house to do for you. They each have a different service. The house serves as his shelter. Whereas the servant's job is to provide for needs. <coughs> he doesn't provide shelter. He doesn't provide needs. The heaven and earth is one kinyan and unique from the others. Okay, I think I'm going to skip a little, even though this is awesome. He's now going to explain why the Mishnah chose the psukim it did as the proofs, which is really, really awesome stuff. You may have had questions about some of it yourself. Uh-oh, I didn't turn off my phone. We're still recording, yay. Good thing no one called. Okay. You may have had a question. I know for me the question only came up that I thought to ask. I didn't notice the other questions. Was Avraham, the Pasuk that the Mishnah chose to say that he's a Kenyan is Vayevarchehu, Malkitzedek blessed him, Vayomar, and said, Baruch Avram lekeleo yon kone shemaim va'aretz. Blessed is Avram to God on high, kone shemaim va'aretz. Which seems like a proof for Shemaim and Aretz, not a proof for Avraham. Right? Okay, so the Maharal now goes through each of the Psukim and explains why the Mishnah chose that Pasuk and not another Pasuk. Or why the Mishnah in one case chose two Psukim and wasn't satisfied with one. <coughs> and that's really, really interesting. But I'm not sure that we need to go through it for the purposes at hand. So I'm going to skip now to, sorry. He's explaining still how each one is one. Okay. I want to, I just want to make sure I'm going to the right place. There's a, let me see which number it is on here. Number 12. I feel like I skipped something that I really wanted. I'm not going to go through this paragraph, but one of the things that's beautiful about it is that because of that sense that God requires it for the purpose, so to speak, of declaring that is, um, what that expresses is that God's desire is in them, that he wishes for them, that he wants them. That bond is a bond of love. And so the Pasuk, one of the Pesukim that's brought for the Jewish people is, all of my desire is in them. There's no Kenyan greater than that. There's no expression of Kenyan that's more than that. Like, that's all I want. 
Okay, but I'm going to skip to this one, which is number 12. And you should know. The first explanation, which I have given so far, this is all clear. There's no doubt in it. But in order to further understand this statement or this essay, you need to know that Kenyan, or describing someone as being Kone something, means further than what we have said, that there's some kind of taking it out from one Rishus and bringing it into a new Rishus. In the way that in English we've been using this word acquire, which has so many other meanings, <coughs> but you, he's saying you can't ignore that there is a suggestion of something coming from one place and, and being expressed into a new, into a new rishus, into a new domain. Um, now, the, there's a lot of questions in various Meforshim about this, because especially if you look at like how Rav Hirsch approached it, which... It, it being Rav Hirsch, it's novel, but it's not strictly speaking novel because it's based on the earlier Meforshim and Chazal, mm-hmm. right? That it's the, the pure meaning of Kinyan is really investing your own effort into creating something, right? That's what Rashi said. Mm-hmm. Kinyan is Asiya, is doing it, making it. If that's so, then where did you take it? I mean, it doesn't mean someone else owned it before you owned it. And yet, nonetheless, the word Kinyan describes a process of moving something from one Rishos into another Rishos. So how would that apply in this case? The Lomar, it means to say, Ki elu dvarim, that these five things, heim nivdolim min hametzios, they are separated out from existence or reality. V'nichnesu l'rishos HaKadosh Baruch Hu, and brought into the domain of God. That's a very different thought. It is also appropriate that they be described as kinyan because of this, because God has picked them up out of one domain and brought them into his domain. But being brought into God's domain has to be complete. That's what he's been saying and saying, which means you're no longer part of the old domain. We saw an idea like this, it was actually also Maharal, um, that the Pachad Yitzchak referred to around Hanukkah time with the oil, that the oil was an oil that was a spiritual oil and therefore it didn't use up, right? A, a miracle oil, that you can have an idea, the same thing with um, Sarah's tent. Maharal also said about Sarah's tent. It was a sort of a, a con, what do you, like an embassy of the next world, of the spiritual world in the physical world. So there was a cloud tied to it, and the bread never used up. It was this spiritual zone. The Kodesh HaKadoshim is like that. Mm-hmm. It's a sort of a spiritual space that is somehow, somehow it's in the physical space, but it doesn't really belong to it. It's not contained by the physical space. These things are called Kenyan just because of that even. Kasher heim nivdolim me'acher. They are separated from the other. Uvo l'rishus shal Kadosh Baruch Hu. And they come into the rishus of Hashem. Silver and gold, everything that belongs to a person can be called his kinyan, even if he didn't purchase it from somebody else. Let's say somebody is a miner and he mines ore and he smelts it and he shapes it, and then he also knows how to do silversmithing, and he, and he makes a beautiful silver ring. It's fully his. We say it's his Kenyan. He didn't buy it from anybody. He didn't acquire it from anybody. He completely made it. I mean, he didn't make the silver itself, but as close as possible. We would still say that it belongs to him, even though it didn't come from someone else. Just the fact that he has separated it out of his environment and put him his own effort and life work into it. And it is fully under his domain. It's within his property. Then we call it a Kenyan. We would still call it Kenyan. And he's comparing that to God creating us, not buying us from anybody else, but separating us up out of a physical environment 
and taking us into a different Rishos, which is the Rishos of God. This is called his Kinyon. In the same way that something might be called a Kinyon that came to him from someone else's property. There is no doubt that these five things, because of their value and their elevated status, are separate from all of the rest of existence. And they have come into the Rishos of God. And it is fitting that they be called Kinyon. And you need to understand. How all of these five things, each of these five things has one aspect to it that makes it completely separate, both in terms of its value and its elevated status from the rest of creation, and becomes the property of God. This is going to start to sound familiar. So you will find everything which is racist to something else. What is racist? Racist means first, right? Like in Bereshis bara elokim. Okay, something that is called first. Racist um, is the description for truma when you give to a kohen. Okay, anything that is a racist for something else. Who nivdal meoso is sep meoso davar is separated from that thing. It's part of it, but it then is separated from it. So if you have truma, so you have a bunch of wheat, and now you take the racious of it and give it as truma, what have you done? You've said this is part of the existence of wheat, right? The body of the wheat. Mm-hmm. And then you say, no, now it's not. Now I have elevated it and I have designated it to God and it belongs to him. That's one example. We do it with challah. You have a whole dough of challah. You create a challah and then you separate out the racious. And it is now not part of your dough to eat. In fact, the kadusha is so great that if you burn it in the oven, is a question, what happens to the next thing you make in the oven? Because that kedusha is not for you. Don't ask me. Ask a rabbi. Usually, I think the bread next thing in the oven. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it can be a problem. Some people it's fine. Some people it's not. Check with a rav. Okay, why? Not because it's treif, but it's too holy for us. It's not for us. Mrs. Khan can eat it. Kitimsa shakol davar shehu reishis laacher. You find. Everything which is racious to something, who nivdal meoso davar, is also separate from that thing. Shehu racious lo, which he is the racious of. V'nichnas l'rishos ha-kadosh baruchu, and becomes property of God. B'shvil chashivoso umaloso shenikha racious, because of whatever characteristic elevated aspect that made it called racious in the first place. Vizetimtsa harbeba Torah, you find this a lot in Torah. Shekol racious, anything that is described as racious, tsiva batar min hashar. It is commanded, the Torah then will command that it has to be separated from the rest of it. Viyya el hashem yisbarach, and belong to God. Kamoha truma racious. Chala nikra reishis, bikurim nikra ureishis, bichar nikra reishis. This is pretty awesome. Kulam heim nivdolim min hashar. All of these are separated from the rest. V'nich nesin l'rishos ha-kadosh baruch hu and enter the same way that he's been describing, that these five things were taken by God from the rest of creation and brought into his space, into his rishos only. Not now we are separated from the material world. But there still might have niggled in your mind, yeah, but we, we came from there somehow, right? This is what he's explaining. It's the racious. And you look back at that first Rashi on Bereshis, right? The first Pasuk, Bishvil Yisrael Shanikru Rashis, right? Bereshis Baralokimesarets. That's God created the physical world and then he is separating out parts that are called racious. There falls upon each of these things. Kedusha el Hashem Yisbarach. Kedusha means holiness, but it also means being separate and dedicated to, like with marriage, right? 
to God. May, may he be blessed. And with this you see they are separated from the rest and enter into the Rishos of Hashem. And logic demands appreciating this point. Rashis means like first. So on the one hand, the word Rashis tells you that there is something else. But it also tells you that it is separate from it. The word first both connects to something and separates from something at the same time. And that's what Rashis is. It's, connect, it's of it, but it doesn't belong to it anymore. Now it's first. B'masha'ol of shame rashis, by fact that it's called rashis, ain't shame rashis ala acher, and nothing else can be first. You can only have one first. The number one can only be one one, and there can only be one first. This is understood, we don't need to keep going on at length about it. You find that all five of these things are called rashis. Now that's not something the Mishnah told us. But something the Maharal is going to point out to us, that all five of these things that are called the Kenyan of God are also five things that are called Rashis. Shemizet Tovin, and from this you can understand, it is because of this aspect of them that they are Rashis, that they are separate from the rest, mean Shar Hamatsios, from the rest of existence, and enter into God's Rashus, like anything called Rashis. And then he gives examples. Torah is called Rashish, Hashem Kononi Rashish Darko. Rashish and Rashish? I don't know if they're related or not. That's interesting. I mean, obviously Rashish has an olive in it and Rashish doesn't, but that doesn't mean that the Rash and the Shin part does. I don't know. Very interesting. Okay. Um, and this is why further, let me see if I can skip down, show you where I'm up to. Okay, this is the about the tenth line from the bottom, it starts with the word uvazeh, number twelve. Uvazeh gamkein yesh lefarish. It's item number twelve, and it's. Do you see that? It's down here. And the, the sentence starts uvazeh gamkein yesh lefarish. The beginning of the sentence is at the beginning of the line, which is at least convenient. I should have marked these up, but I wasn't sure yet when I made the. The source sheets. Okay. Uvazeh gam yesh lefarish sifri dil'el. Knowing this, we can also understand better that sifri above about the man who inherited ten pieces of, ten fields and then bought an eleventh one, and that was the Kenyan, <coughs> because he wanted it. Kedavr shehigiyalo me'acher, that something that comes to someone from somebody else, kemo elu dvarim shenivdolim midvarim acherim, Something that is separated from other things, and he chose it for himself. Zenikra Kinyan is called a Kinyan, which belongs only to God. And it will never leave him. As we have explained. But something which is inherited, it belongs to him because of his father, not because of himself. And only that which has been separated from the rest can really be called, like chosen out, can be called his kinyan and is precious to him. Something which a person separated out from the rest. That means he saw something special about it. And came into a higher degree of ownership. It is fully God's. Okay, and now he's going to explain why the three, the four, and the five different ones. I don't think we'll we'll go there. He does explain that some combine the Avraham with Yisrael together. That it's in this Mishnah they're described as two separate Kinyanim, and elsewhere Avraham and Yisrael are the same Kinyan. Avraham's just the beginning of Yisrael. Okay, so this has been quite a long, <laughs> not enough that I just did something different, but it ended up taking two classes, but. It's pretty awesome. There were a lot of kind of core ideas that I think we'll probably come across in other places as well. Um, and I just want to conclude by wrapping up this idea about the Truma, the Miser, the Bikurim, right? Which Rav Hirsch describes as giving the first or best to God, which effectively dedicates the whole to his service. The Maharal didn't say that over here, right? 
the Maharal spoke about the fact that when you take truma, the truma becomes completely Hashem's. We don't eat it. But it also causes the rest of the food to be in some way perfused with that dedication to Hashem. Right? When you take challah off of the challah, the part you take off for the Kohen, that's for Hashem only. But it adds Kedusha to the rest of the dough as well. The fact that some piece of it was completely given to God means that even when you eat the part that isn't, it's also dedicated to Hashem. Mm -hmm. Okay, so that's, that's, that purpose of Rashis is very enlightening. That all of these five things are called Rashis. They're separated out of the rest of existence. They're fully belonging to Hashem. They're given. That's an elevated level of Kedusha there. And a special bond. But in being that, they also cause an elevation of what they've been separated from. <laughs> because Rashis means that it is both separate from and part of the whole. It says both things at once because the influence goes both directions of Horatius. So Kohanim take the place of the Bechor, right? A Bechor is Horatius because the Bechor is supposed to be fully dedicated to Avodah Hashem and the rest of the family will take care of things like getting a job and cooking dinner, right? Unless it's coming off the Mizbeach, in which case the Kohen cooked dinner, right? That's but the Kohen is taking the place of the Bechar. But that's what it is. You've taken now a ratios of the Jewish people from Shevet Levi, and they are 100% dedicated to Avod and the Beis HaMikdash. But in doing so, we all now become connected to the Avodah and the Beis HaMikdash. It's not that they go off and do it and now we've been left behind. It somehow draws us along with it. The Jewish people then are being called ratios. We've been separated up. We were taken, right? Goyimi care of Goy, one nation from the belly of another nation. But in doing so, we're meant to pull everything along with us. All of humanity is supposed to get elevated because we've been pulled out. Mm -hmm. It's not that they've now been left behind and we've been pulled out. We're a chala. We're a truma. We're a kohen. Which is all explicit in the psukim. Mm -hmm. This is the nature of that and Rav Hirsch also mentioned with regard to um, Bechors, I think we saw this this year when we talked about Yaakov and Esav <coughs> excuse me about how that dedication of the Bechor or that dedication of the Meiser or the Truma there has to be perfect intention in there there's a kind of need that it has to be really perfect if it's not then that he can't be the Bechor You'll take somebody who isn't the first. Something that's racist doesn't have to be the first chronologically. Ideally, it is. But when you make a challah dough, it's not like the first part of the flour that touched the water. You kind of take it from anywhere. Right? That's how racist is in this world. More or less because of the etzadas, it seems. Right? That in an ideal world and in the messianic era... Ratius and first in time will go together, sort of, would be more, more aligned than they are. So the Bechors lost the Bechora to the Kohanim. Shevet Levi is not the oldest of the tribes either, right? So it, it depends, it is more important that it be perfect when it comes to that separated bit than it is that it be the oldest. Mm -hmm. Jewish people certainly not the oldest of the nations. And so I was clearly there before there were Jews there. Heretical as it sounds to say such a thing, I think it's pretty clear right there in the Torah, right? Okay. As Reverse says, as long as life is not completely penetrated with spirituality and thoughts of God, it is to be feared, right, that it, that it will not be purely dedicated. I mean, it's either purely dedicated or it's not. So we try and have these kinds of... He says this actually about Kayan, which is back to Lush and Kenyan again. Okay. Um, it's even true of the first bracha of Shemona Esrei in its way 
if you can have good kavana in the first bracha of Shmonasre, you got a Shmonasre. Right? If you don't, it's a little bit questionable if you got your Shmonasre. It's that graciousness. Okay, I think, I think we'll stop here. Oh, oh no, I knew there was one other point I really wanted to make, which is coming back to that first use. Oh, this is a schmuck. Which is not going to find me the first use of much. Although maybe of something. Okay. Um, <clears throat> coming back to that first case <coughs> where Malki Tzedek is a Kohen Lekel Elyon. And he blesses Avram and says, Baruch Avram Lekel Elyon Kone Shamayim Va'aretz. Avram is blessed to God on high, Kone Shamayim Va'aretz. Uvarach Kel Elyon, and God is blessed, Asher Migin Sarecha Biyadecha. Blessed is God who has given your enemies into your hands. Vayitein lo Maiser Mikol. Avram gives him Maiser from everything. It's all in the same sentence. So we mentioned this before, but I think it becomes more and more clear why this is suddenly happening here. Avram gives Miser immediately. That goes with the Kinyan. That goes with the being handed over this role of Kohen Lekel Elyon, which apparently happened at this moment. Shane didn't give it down to all of his children. He gave it to Avraham, who is one of his children. There is a sort of a, a racious happening here between Shem and Avraham, of handing him Kohen Lekel Elyon, and of course we see by Yomer Melech Sodom, and then immediately the next sentence, the king of Sodom says to Avraham, I mean, we really, it's what my kid would call a whopping topic change, right? But it isn't. The point is it isn't. You know it isn't in Torah. It's just that when it appears to be a whopping topic change, it grabs your attention to figure out what you missed about the topic in the first place, right? He gave him Miser of everything, same sentence, and the king of Sodom said to Avram, give me the people, keep the property. And Avram said to the king of Sodom, Harimosi, I elevate, Yodi, my hand. My hand is elevated now. It's the word truma. Okay, or first point says it's the word truma. Let's see. Harimosi, Yodi, El Hashem. Now he's calling him Hashem. Kale Elyon, we talked about this. Kone Shamayim Va'aretz. Not even a string or a shoe latchet. If I will take anything of yours, so that you will not say I made Avram rich. I don't want, like, it's all about the, he gave the miser. He misered everything to God and said, I don't want anyone to think there's any influence other than the Kedusha of the miser in my money, right? The blessing that comes on the money comes on the miser. Aser to aser, right? You shall surely miser, which means, Chazal say, aser kadesha tisasher. You give Miser in order that you become rich. I and mean, that's not the reason you give Miser. But if you do give Miser, you will become rich. Why? Because the Kedusha of the Miser, the Kedusha of the Truma, the Kedusha of the Rashis, the Kedusha of the Chala permeates the whole with the blessing of it. That pure intention, that complete dedication of the small first bit has the possibility of dedicating the rest after it, which is very encouraging. Because in this world, we don't achieve perfection. Nothing physical will achieve perfection. What we do is strive for perfection of intention for even a small time. And that will influence the rest of all the imperfectness. We'll also get permeated with Kedusha, from the moments of inspiration, and it's true in our lives, we have moments of inspiration and moments of tremendous emuna and bitachon. And that will influence onto the rest of our days where we maybe aren't feeling so completely elevated at every moment. That's really, that is the avoda of this world. That's not a problem, that's the solution. And I think that that's why Avraham suddenly misers everything and then says, I'm not taking anything from you. Because if I take it from you, you're going to think that that's the influence of the wealth. And it isn't. The influence of the bracha comes from the miser, comes from God, from the purity of intention and from God's blessing, and doesn't touch from you. 
So next week in Mirza Hashem, we will continue on. I think this will conclude Vekone Hakol for now. <laughs> I feel like, we, you know, I thank you for letting me spend so much time on it because I feel like these are such fundamental issues to understanding other things that um, I wanted to... <laughs> Something that we're missing because we don't live in a place where we micer our fruits and vegetables as well. And because we don't micer our fruits and vegetables, there's something missing also in our fruits and vegetables that we eat, you know? We don't have too much, I mean... I, I don't know what would happen in America if you own animals. I, you can certainly give a petr hamor. I don't know about other animals, you know. But in Israel, you know, firstborn animals can be... You can micer things. You can. So you don't realize all the a little kedusha that you brought in this house. A little kedusha goes, goes a long the way. Whole house. It goes yeah. through the whole house. Yes. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's a little bit what a mezuzah does, right? We get a perfection of thinking about the home and God guarding our home and being permeating our home. We do that at the doorway and that allows it to permeate the whole house. Yeah, it really is. I think that we talked about that sort of with mezuzah. We just didn't put it in those terms. But um, that's also Korach's argument, right? Korach says, well, if you have a, a house full of, of Torahs, do you need a mezuzah on the door? And Moshe says yes, and Korach makes fun of him, right? If you have a garment made entirely of techeles, do you need a techeles on the... That's what he's saying. And Moshe says yes. Because the truth is, the question is disingenuous. That isn't, that isn't the world we live in. Yes, the nation is all holy, of course. But the nation is not, not all perfectly inspired. Any more than we are, we're the nation. Right? Would we have the nerve to claim like a Korach? <laughs> that we're complete, perfect, safer Torahs? Right? So that's, it's not an insult. Uh -huh. But that doesn't take away from the racious, from the doorway, from the string, from the challah, that we put extra attention into our kavana and trying to get it as perfect as we can with the Meiser. That's, that's Vasemis on Va'er. Right? That imperfection is more or less woven into the fabric of maise, of action, of the created world. Nonetheless, we strive for perfection in machshava, in thought. In thinking. In thinking. Yeah. And, and even there, we, put, we focus it on erasious. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it will carry. Mm -hmm. And when you come in the house, you feel the kadusha of this house. Mm -hmm. That's funny. We feel it that in your house. Was, but more than it ever was now. <laughs> That's my mommy. My mommy's yeah. here. <laughs>